Well, hello. There is people out there. It's 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 dark out there, right? The light the light is going to come on. There we go. Good to be here. Thank you guys for coming out and uh helping us all praise the Lord and worship him. And uh we have one supreme goal. One goal in our worship today, and one goal every day, and one goal for eternity. And that's an easy one, isn't it? The goal for mankind is to glorify God. And we know Westminster Confession says that uh, it's the first question is, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And uh, that's a good thing to know, isn't it? And uh, sometimes I think we probably forget that. It's good to be reminded. But the purpose, the very reason that we exist, it's simple as that, although it's very complex, but it's very simple in that uh, we are to live every part of our lives for God's glory. Every part. And yet most of mankind, and that means people that are not Christians, miss that point completely. What they're doing, they're searching. They're searching frantically this thing, whatever they're after, for meaning and purpose to their lives, whether it be from one moment to the next, from one action that they have, sinful action to the next sinful action. They're looking for some kind of purpose. What kind of meaning do we have? And of course, if one believes in evolution today, um, one does not believe in glorifying God. They believe that uh, because of evolution, they can live their lives according to the way that they want to. And so therefore, the glory goes all to them. And that is not uh, the reason that we exist. How so totally wrong, isn't it? How they miss the boat. One of the most important questions that could ever be asked is, what is my purpose here? And most people are just out there floating along. They don't even want to think about it. Haven't thought about it. How come we think about it? Well, God puts it in our hearts to do that. You'd think it'd be automatic, but it's not. It's it's very... Um, because of our flesh, it, it does not want to think about glorifying God. So we're at one of the most classic verses in all of the Bible about glorifying God. This uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is a great verse. So if ever, ever anybody ever asks you, well, why is it that you emphasize the glory of God so much? How, how do we know about that? Well, this is one of them here, but it's written all throughout Scripture. How can you miss it? But I've had people ask me that. And they think God is some kind of ogre and what kind of God is He demanding to be glorified always by us? He must be some prideful kind of God. Well, if it were anything less, then He would be lying or He'd be less than God, wouldn't He? He is the one to be glorified. And it's the central passage, I believe, in in all the Bible for all ages. That's so much the focus. I think it's significant for God's people to know this to always have it before in their in their minds and their thoughts. Um, if we are not giving glory to God, what are we doing? We're giving reproach to His name. We're dishonoring Him if we are not doing that. So really, there are two options in life. Two options. To either dishonor God or to what? Glorify Him. To honor Him. It's one or the other. There's nothing in between. The very moment we have sinned, we have not glorified Him. Matter of fact, we've fallen short of His glory, haven't we? And we cannot glorify Him in that way. Uh, the Corinthian church, in this context here, certainly needed to be reminded that they were to be giving glory to God in all that they did. They were not bringing glory to God by misusing their freedoms, their Christian freedoms. Now, that has been what we've been dealing with for quite a few weeks now, isn't it? And we're still in that, but we're closing that up now. This section is now coming to an end, and this is basically what he closes it up with. We have limits to our freedoms. All Christians are free in Christ. The truth sets you free. We have freedoms that we can do that, uh, let's say, if it's simple, it's it's not something we want to do. We know that. But... um, 
anything that is not sinful, we are uh, able to do. Paul has been bringing that, and now he brings it up to a conclusion. And he says that um, it's for the best interest of others sometimes to be willing to give up those freedoms if it causes stumbling blocks. And that means there are gray areas in the Christian's life. And sometimes we don't know how we can possibly step over that line and go from gray to too dark, right? Uh, I think the big question that we can ask is this. Will it bring glory to God? Will this bring glory to God? Um, We must use our freedoms correctly. And if we do, it will bring glory to God if uh, it uh, lines up with God's Word. We must glorify God in the use of our liberties. So we pick it up in chapter 10, verse 23. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Oh, that's a good summary, isn't it? That pretty well says it. There really wouldn't be any need to... Uh, talk about that because it just says it there, but we'll uh, we'll take some time on that <laughs> that section and maybe get some a little more insights to them. There are questions to ask then. If if something seems to be a gray area for you, uh, and there will be, what should we be asking? Well, he says it right here. Okay, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Okay, you can, you're free in Christ to do these things, but it's not always helpful. And it doesn't always edify. So the first one is, is it profitable and is it edifying? Is this a profitable thing here? Is it just useless? Or is it profitable? Or does it actually build up? Uh, now we know, and we're not going to spend time on it, but... We know that he's not talking about sin. Okay, then it says all things lawful, so I can go out and do whatever I want. Well, in Romans 6, Paul says, no, may it never be. Uh, God doesn't give glory, get glory because you go out and sin. Um, so we, we know that. We are bound because of God's law that's put in us not to sin against His holiness. And so we recognize that. If you were to go back to chapter 6, verse 12, Paul um, definitely shows some things that um, would be beforehand, and then he says, "All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any." That's the problem. We can do something that could be certainly okay, but the moment it has power over you, you've actually slipped into a bondage, haven't you? And it has power over you, even though that power has been broken by Christ. In our everyday living, we can let that power be over us. In the very next sentence, he talks about foods for the stomach. And boy, that can be convicting. gets right into the element of food, which is something we have to have. Food is not a gray area. But it can become a gray area when we start overeating and, and it becomes our God, right? And then he goes into sexual immorality, of course. And um, many other sins. We know drunkenness and thievery and covetousness and such, as he says in verse 10, homosexuality and sodomites, 9, 10, 11. He talks about those sins. And of course, obviously, we cannot do those things. We would not want to do those things. But don't be brought under the power. So, uh, some of the Corinthians were using this freedom, this lawful aspect, and he had used this word before, hasn't he? We see it in Corinthians chapter 6, and I've got a feeling he probably used that uh, quite frequently when he had been amongst them. And so in his writing here, he says, he uses that terminology uh, about being lawful. Um, one may say this, okay, I'm going to do such and such a thing. And another one says, well, you shouldn't do that. But you come back to the first and he says, but all things are lawful. I can do anything I want. And we know that We've got a gray area here, possibly. And sometimes there are questionable practices. We just are not sure. There are things that are not specifically forbidden in the Bible, right? 
We can't find it in the Bible. We know if a sin is a sin, we obviously know we can rule that out immediately. But there are other things, even in our culture, that could be, maybe not. Uh, might not be a negative. It could be a negative. could be a not a negative. It could be neutral. Right? It uh, may not be a positive either. So it's kind of in between there. So between these two choices, what do we want? Well, we want a positive thing, right? And that's what he's saying here, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. I want things to be helpful here. And so if this action is not necessarily profitable, helpful or beneficial, is this beneficial? Go to Acts 20, verse 20. Let's see what happens here in the early church. Acts 20.20 says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So he taught everything to them that uh, was helpful. I never refrained from bringing helpful things to you. He didn't try to bring in things that were not helpful. It was to be helpful. Go to 2 Timothy 3.16. And here is that classic text on the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. It's helpful. It's beneficial. What? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there he uses that word again. It's profitable for the teaching and reproof and correction, instruction and righteousness. That's what the Word of God's about. That's why we read the Word of God daily. That's why we study it. That's why we come together, Bible studies, uh, this opportunity that we have here today in worship. So it is profitable. It's, you should be able to take something home that will be useful in your life, right? Now, the, the next uh, word here is edifying that he uses here in our passage. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And oikadameo, oikadameo, uh, oikos is dealing with a house, dameo, building, building a house to build up. That's the uh, idea here, to build a house. We are being built daily. Daily, we're being built more and more. You should be much further than what you were three years ago, shouldn't you? You should be much further than you were two years ago, a year ago, even the last few months. You should be being built up. And if you're in the Word of God, you are being built up if you're letting God uh, work in your life. Um, All things are to be done to build up. Everything you do should be something to build up. There is to be spiritual growth. Everything that we do should be building ourselves up spiritually. And that means everything. Even the things that people would say, oh, that's secular. There's nothing secular in our lives. We have different viewpoints the way things are run or the way things are done. And we know that. Um, But we know we can take this and see it through the eyes or the glasses of Christ and we grow in that grace and knowledge. So how do we edify? Go back to Acts chapter 20. We were right there earlier. Acts 20, Paul talking to the Ephesian elders and in verse 32, it says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is what? Able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's incredible. The very Word of God is so powerful, like in Hebrews, it changes your life. It builds you up. The Word of His grace. I like that, don't you? The Word of His grace. He's so gracious. You know what? It's a miracle work. It's a supernatural work that's being done in our lives. We don't do it. He works in us, we work it out, but He is doing it. Can you believe that? It's a supernatural work. It's a miracle of what God is doing in us day by day. And if we're in the Word of God, we're being edified. And so that's why we say, stay in it. To the word, It's a Word of grace. Don't you need that grace? Yeah, it's always there, but we need to recognize it. Um, so, how do, how do we edify? Well, in the Word of God. Number two, 
Go to First um, Corinthians fourteen, verse three and four. Here he says, "But he who prophesies speaks edification." There's our word, isn't it? Building up and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies, builds up the church. The word there, prophesy, means to proclaim, means to preach the Word of God in the Greek. That's the idea idea of this, to proclaim God's Word, to bring forth His truth. So the Word of God will build you up. The preaching of the Word of God will build you up. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, just a few pages back, and we've seen this one. Here's a third one that builds us up. Boy, you can say, yeah, this is true too. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. Now, we can read the Word and just have knowledge only, and we don't live it out. We don't love others, and that is all it's going to do is puff you up. But here it says, if you take that Word and then apply it, and apply it to others, and live for others, and give yourself up for others, it edifies. What does? Love does. That's why a church is so important. They work together. They pray for each other. They communicate with each other. And uh, So love builds us. We need that, don't we? We definitely need it from, from God, but we get it from His people. And we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, where you have spiritual gifts are given, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying... There's that word again. That's, that's what we're concentrating on for the moment, right? Oikodameo. Build up. Edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, we are edified by the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, the very love of God and His people, and then service builds us up. Serving others. He said here, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we edify each other. You know, we use our gifts And somehow, miraculously, God uses our gifts that He's given through human beings to help build each one of us up. That's how we are built up, edified. So there's the word there. Um, Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. Edified. Edified. Build up. 12.19. Again, do you come that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God and Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Paul writes to Corinthians and says, we do everything. He calls them beloved. Then he says, we do them for you, that you would be built up. And he said, everything. Everything. We do all things. So, that's the, that's the idea. If we're in a gray area, a good question to ask is this. Okay, is it profitable? Is it for edification? How can is there anything in this at all that can be edified? Even if it looks like it's even secular, how can I use this with my Holy Spirit glasses, seeing through the eyes of Christ, seeing through His vision the way it is, how can I turn this in my uh, uh, thinking to the way that He would think about it? Reading, studying the Bible, you'll be built up. Preaching of the earth, uh, the Word of God, that'll build you up. Uh, obedient service will build you up. So we could sum up this whole thought. Edification is better than self-gratification. We like to gratify ourselves. And it's okay to enjoy. Matter of fact, Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If you're glorifying God, you can enjoy Him in a way that you couldn't even before because you're seeing it through His way. Uh, so, edifying is much better than gratifying ourselves. That's one question that uh, Paul says we can ask ourselves if we think it's a gray area. Verse 24 says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. 
Wow, does that say a lot? It's, is it for the good of others? Okay, what I'm doing is, is this going to be the good for somebody else? Now, this is another great question to ask yourself. Okay, it's okay for me to do this, I know. But could it hinder another? For some reason, and it might be a little legalistic, if I did this in front of them, it'd be best not to do that because it can create a problem. It might be offensive to my brother, so it's better off not said, even though it can be a free thing to do. It's okay. It's not necessarily sinful. Could be, but I have the right to do this. But if it's going to offend my brother and he knows what I'm doing and it really bothers him, will it build that person up? And that's the question we have to ask. We're actually to put others' interests over ourselves. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Well, this, this is going beyond the way that a normal person thinks. That's why I say there's a supernatural work being done in you to be able to do this because normally we say, well, that's tough for him. Tough. I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I want to do. Okay, go to Philippians chapter 2. And this is the epitome of what humility is. And it's the great passage where Christ gave Himself up for us while He came in this flesh. And verse 3 and 4 of chapter 2 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, humility. Let each esteem others better than himself. What a calling this is to be a Christian, isn't it? Let each of you look not out only for his own interest, but also for the interest of Others. Wow, it's incredible. So we should do whatever is beneficial to others, not just ourselves. We want to be beneficial for ourselves, but love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's the second great commandment. Love builds up when we sacrifice our liberties for somebody else. Boy, that's dying, isn't it? That's not a natural thing to do. They will be built up by it. And you know what? You will be built up by it too when you practice these things. You know what the flesh wants to say? Oh, no, no, no. This is okay to do. It's right to do. And if they have a problem with it, tough. That's that's too bad. I'm going to do it no matter who I offend. I don't care. Because this is what I'm about. This is me and I'm going to do it. And we'll get the balance here in a moment. Because I know what you're thinking. Because I'm thinking the same thing. But first of all, he's wanting us to die to the flesh and sacrifice for others. It's a, it's a disaster to the church if everybody practices their own liberties and nobody sacrifices for the weaker brother. And now you have uh, just selfishness that goes on. Now there's another question. And we find that 25 through 30. And this is kind of the balance of it. You're going to say, well, listen, if that be the case, then we can't do anything. We, we could drive ourselves crazy for the sake of others, right? So we have to get the balance, and God is so balanced. I mean, you look at His Word and you take one Scripture out and you can make it fly and, and build a doctrine, build a church around it, and make it say whatever you want. And nothing else matters because there it is right there. But the only thing is, there are other verses usually right after that that God always comes in and makes sure that we don't take something to an extreme. So we need, I think, God-given wisdom to make the decisions to discern, okay, where do I sacrifice my liberties and where do I not? I think some people can be so legalistic that it would be impossible to follow everything they think to be spiritual. And we look at the example of Christ where you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other people and they had different uh, thoughts on whether it be the Sabbath or whatever. And so many of the 613 laws the Pharisees had and they'd made up. Um, that goes outside the Word. Uh, they've gone way too far. Jesus straightened them out on what that was about. I don't know if He straightened them out, but He gave truth on what that was. Um, we should ask, uh, I guess, hey, is, is this okay? 
I was just going to offend somebody. I don't want to go right out in front and just start doing that. Uh, but we could get to this point. Am I okay? Uh, is this all right? Um, maybe I should wear this. Oh, if I don't wear, if I don't wear, if I do wear this, um, what about my hair? Oh no, should I? What should I do with my hair? Should I cut it? Should I let it grow a little longer? Um, oh, what about my Bible? My Bible version. Oh. King James only. Should I only use King James only? Is it the only text that I can use? Should I pray, should I use a praise song? Should I sing a praise song or hymns only? Should I use a King James only? And we can go on and on and on. And I run into this kind of constantly at uh, at the store, bookstore, because there are all sorts of different people come in. And I'll be selling or showing somebody that wanted an NIV. I'll be showing that, and then they'll be talking about how good they uh, really appreciate that version or whatever other version, ESV or something. And somebody that's a King James only, and I know they are. And uh, now they're hearing this, and they're probably, you know, what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, those poor people, they don't even know any truth. King James is the only Bible, and everything else is a New Age version, and it's demonic. And uh, they're going to go to hell because they, they're using that version. And you can imagine the thoughts that they have. And, and, and they're taught some of these things. Can't straighten out in everybody. And now I'm caught in the twain here. <laughs> it happens a lot. We could go around thinking, is this offending him? Is my tie too bright? <laughs> Should I have a tie on? Should I not have a tie on? Should I have a suit coat on? Should I not have a suit coat on? Can I wear this? Can I wear that? It could drive us crazy, couldn't it? And that's not what worshiping God is about. I don't want to be caught in those kind of traps. And there's always somebody that has their little quirks and sometimes we have to find the balance. And I have a, a, a pastor friend of mine who... Um, had ran into some people and there was a website where it's a, a particular institution, uh, a college, a seminary, and they will not let anybody have any facial hair whatsoever. Their hair has to be cut to a certain length. It's all fine and well, but uh, he had asked him and it came out on the internet and his question was there. Not that he, you heard him, but the guy replies back and uh, he gives the reasons why they don't do it. It was tradition, is what it was. That's okay if they want to be that way. That's fine. But um, if if it turns out that a church tells people they have to wear a certain kind of dress, a certain hair length, uh, no hair, you know, whatever. I, I, there was a um, actually almost a comedy tape made out uh, years ago. Uh, it's called uh, hairology, <laughs> and this guy's making fun of uh, the uh, the length of hair that people have and and their beards and such, and it, uh, it's almost comical, uh, and it was done in a comical way. But it's funny how legalistic people have gotten. Well, do we bow down to everybody that's that way? Um, well, we, we can't. You know, we, we, there's no way that we can satisfy and please everybody. Um, but we want to be careful. We don't want to do something in front of somebody that's going to offend them if at that very moment. But it, it can't constantly be that way. Verse 25 says, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Asking no questions for conscience sake. This Old Testament scripture out of the Psalms. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Hey, what's he saying here? The marketplace. Now, that's specifically, um, that's a butcher shop. Really, what he's saying. This is where they sell meat, uh, but it can be the marketplace, and we can extend it out to our times, um, whatever you know, where you buy things. But when you go there, don't ask him where he got it. You don't have to know this. This this is God saying this. Paul is is saying what God's word is. He says whatever sold in the meat market. Yeah, it could have been offered to to idols. But we don't believe in other gods anyway. He says, just, just don't ask. Don't go around tracing around, I wonder if this came from there and try to find out where he got it from and he got it from. Did it come straight from the, their temple and such? Now you're going to have to take that meat back if you find out that it came from there because now it's bothering your conscience. Just relax. Buy the meat. Take it home. Eat it. Enjoy it. It's okay. God says it's all right. Don't make an issue out of it. 
Just eat it, be quiet. Don't ask needless, stupid questions. Use your liberty. You have liberty in this. You just enjoy. Everything is the Lord, so just say thanks. Now, he took this out of Psalms 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. It's okay, the Lord created it. In 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, um, Paul writes this to uh, Pastor Timothy. And I'm sure he ran into all sorts of things too and legalism that was coming in and people always have these new insights based on a verse. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. Um, there there were people going around forbidding to marry and abstaining from foods and going back to Old Testament law or whatever. And he says, give thanks, enjoy it, eat it. Now, if it's going to poison you, that's another thing. That's the thing that bothered me. I'm sorry. Hit my stand. Okay, now that's one issue. You go to the, the butcher shop to get the meat. It's all right. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't ask. If any of those who do not believe invite you to a dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you and asking no questions for conscience sake. Now that's the setting there. What, if you, what about a pagan home? What if these people are pagans, Gentiles, or they're people who are unbelievers is who they are. And he asks you to come to his house to celebrate. They had a birthday going on or whatever. And matter of fact, they could be, even be relatives. And so they do this, and you've done it for years, and all of a sudden you go, Christian, is it okay to go in? Yeah, it's all right. But they're unbelievers, and, and you don't know what they're going to get into. Well, whenever they serve the food, you know what Paul says here? Don't ask them questions. Just be quiet. Don't start an investigation about where this meat came from. Couldn't you hear somebody? Somebody's legalistic. Now, about this food... What about this food? Where'd you get it? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Somebody? It, well, sure. I, I know people that do that. Because this food is really good, but uh, hey, uh, did you get it up there at that marketplace where they had meat that was coming from the temple? Uh, you didn't get it from a sacrifice, did you? <laughs> Don't ask crazy, stupid questions that are going to cause trouble with the conscience. For us today, how do you apply this? Okay, let's say somebody served up a really good meal. I mean, you've enjoyed it, and all of a sudden it comes to your mind, say, hey, say, was this food cooked in wine? <laughs> you know how people cook in wine, you know, sherry or whatever. Oh, no, uh, you, didn't, you didn't cook it in that, did you? Don't worry about it. Eat it. Just eat it. Enjoy it. Avoid the legalism. You're free to enjoy that food. You don't have to ask the question. If you're enjoying it, you like it. Now, if it's really tasting bad, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay. Now, you got another question. Okay, so far, it's pretty easy here, right? We're at the meat market or we're at the uh, uh, pagan's home. What about if you go to a pagan's home and there's another Christian there? Uh-oh. And the other Christian is not exactly like you and he's not so free. He's at the dinner and he knows that this meat probably has been offered to idols. You're sitting there. You're digging into this great piece of steak. Man, this is good. You're hungry. You're starving. Tastes wonderful. Your pagan friend can really cook. And he's offered this. This meat has been offered to idols. He answers the question the other Christian asks him. Oh. Man, I was really getting it. Why'd you have to do that? <laughs> now the word is out, right? We were doing okay. I'm hungry, and I don't want to offend my host here. But it really bothers my brother, who's a Christian. What do I do there? You ever been in this kind of situation? Not necessarily with food, but it could be something else. Uh, this other guy says, I don't believe we can eat meat sacrificed to idols. And we better not do that. Well, what does verse 28 tell us to do? But if anyone says to you, uh, hey, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. 
Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? It's a brother's conscience that's bothering. And you know he really has a trouble with it, but you're afraid you're going to offend your pagan host who's a friend. What are you going to do now? Don't offend your brother in Christ. Yeah, but now my witness is going to be blown to my pagan guy here. Says, oh, this this meal is just oh, and I really want to eat this meat. This is really good. I can't eat it because my brother has a problem. I'm going to offend the host probably. You have to choose between offending a Christian and offending a pagan. And you're going to have to offend the non-Christian. And I know we would say you're kidding. But it says here, if you have to choose, then obviously we see who we're supposed to choose. Yeah, but we're trying to win this lost guy to Christ here. Yeah, but the thing is, the way that they're one is to see the love between Christians so that they would glorify God. Uh, The way to win people is to love each other. That's what Jesus had said. And he goes, is that right? It says it right here. You love each other and the world's going to know we are His what? Disciples. Now that is a pretty nitty-gritty one there. When you come between a non-believer and a believer, you have to be able to go along with the the believer. And uh, that's quite a testimony to the world. And so that's his point. Ah, that's part one. Now we go to part two. I better look at my watch. Okay, we're doing good. Now, verse 31. Um, Let me read through this. Uh, Verse 29 says, Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. See, it's not bothering your conscience. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? I'm not going to let have the same conscience that he has. I'm still free in Christ. But at this moment, I'm going to give up my right to eat this meat because it's going to offend him. And I know there's nothing I can do to change his mind. If I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of the food for which I give thanks? He says, but don't become legalistic. And you can go back next time you eat with the, the pagan host. Um, you can eat that meat if he invites you back. <laughs> or whatever situation it is, right? Now the principle. We get to the principle. And this is what we live by. Here's that great statement. This is where it's at. Everything is all about the glory of God. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. That went through 33. I think we're going through 32 in this section. But... Um, the whole purpose for all of us is found right here. To enjoy life is found right here. And He encompasses every little thing, every aspect in our lives. Bring honor to God. God is the central reality, the very focus of what we are about, what we look at, what we do. In Romans 11.36, God who has given us everything after a great section on the very depth of the riches, gives quite a doxology in 33 through 35, and in 36, uh, continue with that doxology. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Oh, the riches. How unsearchable are His judgments. For through Him, of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. And for everything to Him is glory. We're to see all things through the view of God. That's what we focus on. We must be immersed in Him. You cannot be immersed in Christ. You say, am I spending too much time thinking about Him all the time? There's other things i got to do. Have Him in everything. No matter what you do. Praying always. What does that mean? Being God conscious. Knowing He's there. Even though you do the work that you have to do, knowing that He's giving you the strength to do that. Um, There are really two kinds of glory we can look at. 
There is the intrinsic glory. That's the Shekinah glory. The very part of who God is. I mean, that is Him. That's the very aspect of God. God is the only one who has intrinsic glory. It is Him. It defines Him. It is Him. It belongs to Him. It's part of Him. It's who He is. He is glory. So this is Him. So no matter whether we dishonor Him or honor Him, He still has His glory. He never loses glory. (laughs) He is glory. It's eternal glory. And it's never a chunk taken out. Our God is to be glorified in everything we do. And He will. And you know what? Even the mundane things in life gives Him glory. Even the most things that we think would be the smallest. But His glory is always there. So there's the intrinsic glory, but there also is the ascribed glory. This is recognizing the glory that God already exists. In your um, bulletin at the very top right there where we have usually have a scripture or a saying there, uh, it talks about ascribing glory to God, doesn't it? And uh, that's right out of the Psalms. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. You are to be clothed, arrayed with worship. Ascribe glory to Him. So there is that intrinsic glory, but then there's the glory that we are to to praise Him with. That's recognizing the very glory of God, which He already has. But it's us recognizing us. We don't take His glory away. He always has that. Wouldn't you like to go through just a little bit of a Bible study of saying, well, how can we glorify God? What are the details? How can I do that better? Do you have those kind of questions? I want to glorify God. I hear this all the time, but how do I do it? Go to, let's go to a few. Um, Joshua 7.19 Joshua right after the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Joshua chapter 7, verse 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, Achan sinned, sinned big. My son, I beg you. What is he begging him to do? Give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Well, how do I do that? Joshua, he says, make confession to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Right? He had taken some things that he was not supposed to take. And God will take him right off the face of the earth too. But first, he is to glorify God. And how is that done? Confessing sin. Have you ever thought about that? When you confess your sin, you are glorifying God. That's what Joshua says. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to Him. How about when we just trust in God We don't see anything happening around us. It seems like we are in the doldrums. We have not, it seems like we haven't grown in the Lord. He's not answered any prayer. Um, Nothing is happening. That's the way that we foresee it, or we see it. But Romans 4.20 talks about faith. Believing God, even when it would seem impossible to believe God. There's no reason to believe God. And here, the illustration has been given of Abraham. And you know that he was a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was dead. She was 90 whenever they had Isaac. Right? I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. But they believe that. Abraham believed that God would do that. So in verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. What did he do? Giving glory to God. When you trust in God, knowing that 
all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. When you think of all those promises that God has done, I don't see it, I don't feel it, I don't hear it, nothing is happening, but I'm still trusting in God because this is what He says. I'd like to see it quicker, but I believe you, God. (laughs) I'd really like to see this, God, but I believe you, God. Did you know He's glorified in that? And nobody even knows it, but He's glorified in that. You're recognizing His glory when you just trust in Him. John 15.8. Now this is an obvious one. We, we know this one. But had you thought about that? Confessing sin and just trusting God, which you, you should be doing every day. You're glorifying Him that way. John 15.8. Dealing with the fruit. I am the vine. Father is the vine dresser. Right? We get to verse 8 and it says this. By this, my Father is glorified. How? How? How can we glorify Him? That you bear much fruit. So you'll be My disciples. If we bear fruit, that means outwardly it will be seen. What He's worked in you, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and He's working this fruit in you, and sometimes it comes out, but boy, it's really small. People have to really look under the leaves to see any kind of fruit. Let's <laughs> see Oh, okay, there's something there. Well, if you're a Christian, you will bear fruit. Right? Bear much fruit. God is glorified. Just let Him work in you. Psalm 50, verse 23. This is easy. Whoever offers praise, or some versions might say thanksgiving, glorifies me. That's easy, isn't it? When you're thanking God, He's just been glorified. It's easy to thank God. Things aren't going our way. Maybe not so easy. But that's what we are to do. Always giving thanks, right? I think the New Testament says that. (laughs) Always giving thanks. Oh, let's see what Peter has to say in 1 Peter chapter 4. What's another one that brings glory to God? Now, this doesn't seem right. But, you know, God doesn't write in the flesh or think in the flesh as we do. This is surprising. 1 Peter 4, 14. You ready? (laughs) Have we turned there? Because you have to see it for yourself. This will glorify God. You say, you've got to be kidding me. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Or their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. People make fun of you, reproach you because you're a Christian. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matter. You're not going to glorify God in that way. But yet if anyone suffers... As a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. When you are suffering, and that can be through persecution or it can be any numbers of ways, because if we look at 1 Peter, we'll find out that God's will for us is to suffer. (laughs) Because you do. It happens. You can say, well, that's against God's will. Well, maybe not. Uh, He's going to uh, take this dross and burn it off of us. And you look through church history and you look at Christ Himself, you look at all the apostles, you look through church history, and you look all up to present day and you find out Christians do suffer. You will suffer, He says. Jesus says it. All the apostles say it. There it is. Uh, I know we don't want to hear it, but here Peter is saying it here. You know what? When that happens, you're glorifying God if you're doing it in a way that you are just trusting in God. You're glorifying God in that way. Boy, that sounds opposite, doesn't it? But it's the truth. John fourteen thirteen. How can I glorify God? Well, some of these things that we just mentioned, obviously. In John fourteen thirteen, talking about prayer, Jesus says. Well, that's obvious. If you ask oh, verse thirteen. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified. In the Son. 
asking in Jesus' name or asking what Jesus would ask. Asking in the authority of the Son. The Son goes to the Father. Ask. That's how we get to the Father, through the Son. So if we ask in what the Son would be asking, and not ourselves asking, but the Son would be asking, the Father is glorified in the Son. So when we pray, and pray things that would be God's will, He's glorified. Do you pray a lot? Or you just glorify God? Don't have time to read it in Philippians. You'll find out that there's a thing called contentment. I think it's in chapter 4. Just being contented. God is most glorified when I am most satisfied or contented in Him. When I am content with whatever He's brought on in my life, I know what it's like to be rich, Paul says. I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be downcast. Go on and on and on what happened to Paul. But he says, I'm content in whatever circumstance I'm in. If that be the case, God is glorified. Without even thinking about it, we've glorified God. Spreading the Word, preaching the Word. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 talks about that. We are to make much of God in all ways. Making much of Him. Let's say take a beautiful painting. And you really are amazed at that painting. You go, wow, that's something. What do you do with that picture? You just enjoy it. Look at it and go, wow. Now, see, the thing is, though, we're always wanting to help God out. Now, in this picture, you say, ah! You know, you see that? You want to grab a brush and put in a couple other things. Oh, we could put this there. We could do this. Somebody painted this picture. You're enjoying it. All of a sudden, you're talking about something adding to this great work, right? Matter of fact, glorifying that picture, and we know we don't glorify picture. We glorify God, but... You know, if you really enjoy that picture, you go around and you tell others about it. You're excited about it. This is great. Somebody makes a great meal, a wonderful meal, a great spread. Man, it's just great. They serve it up to you and you just enjoy it. How do you glorify that that meal? I'm doing this in a way of saying, how do we glorify God? Well, and you know what I'm saying. We don't glorify the meal or the person who did it, but yet what do we do? Well, we don't go in the kitchen and put an apron on and uh, go out there and then uh, you know trying to add a few more dishes. Maybe uh, add a couple more spices in there. No, if you enjoy it, what do you do? You enjoy it. You say to the host, man, this is great. This is fantastic. Thank you. This is... And you eat a lot, right? <laughs> you eat it because you enjoy it, though. You feel contented. And you say, ah, oh, this is good. Enjoy that. That's the way it is with what God has given us. That's why it says to glorify God and join forever. It's a pleasure, isn't it? Because we just take it in. Or uh, how about the strength of a, a new metal alloy that holds up a bridge? Now, how do you glorify this strength of this metal? Well, you don't go up there trying to make more supports for it. It's been made just perfect. It's just fine. Um, what do you do? You get, you're in the car, your family's in the car, and you just drive across it. Enjoy that bridge. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever enjoyed a bridge, but something that has been made uh, and you couldn't cross this river before, now you do. Well, now all of a sudden you probably are more thankful for it, right? You peacefully drive across that. You don't have any anxiety about it at all because you know it's going to hold you up. It's kind of dealing with faith, isn't it? Just trusting in it, you know, that it's okay, this thing is okay. I don't have to supplement it. It's restful pleasure. Did you know that that is glorifying God when you just are at rest with Him? Hey, a lot of things going around here. Now, when we come to gray areas, all we have to do is ask ourselves, okay, can I glorify God in doing this? And you might have to think kind of hard. <laughs> Sometimes it might be something questionable and say, well, you know what? I can use this. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the theme here, but I can use this to know what is happening out there. Um, and so when this is addressed, I, 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 can, I can use this. Now, I have to be careful, you know, but here's where we use a lot of wisdom. 
can I edify my brother with this? Or this unbeliever, maybe I can, I can communicate with him if I know a little bit more about what they're doing here. Um, is there praise and worship in this? Do you do everything to glorify God? Uh, are we offending anybody? So we'll seek the profit of others. We're to live to be righteous. And the only time really that we should really offend somebody is when, when we use the Gospel. Because it will offend people. And we're to use that in a loving way, but yet we know the Gospel in itself is offensive because we've been told that. And it is so offensive that it has actually brought um, death to people. <laughs> you go through the church history or even throughout some of the rest of the world today. People that bring the gospel and are killed because of it. But uh, that's the only offense really that we should bring. Sometimes we offend others and don't know it. Uh, let's close this out. Verse 33 of our First Corinthians. Did you know we're closing out a section today? Chapters 8, 9, and 10. We've been spending a lot of time on this issue, but there must have been a reason why Paul spent so much time. We've spent weeks on it, but I think it's good to bring to us and realize that uh, we're not living for ourselves. Okay, he says, follow my example. Just as I also please all men in all things, I, you know, uh, I try to do whatever I, I can to not stumble people. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Eighteen months he was in Corinth. People knew him very well there. And Christ has set him free to have the liberties to win the lost. And all he did was for the glory of God. And for the edifying of the saints. That's what he lived for. If you look in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, the section that we've been at, if you look at... Uh, oh, let's say 19 through 23. Um, we're not going to read all that. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. The Jews became a Jew. The Gentiles became a Gentile. That kind of thought there. To the weak I become weak. And on and on. And then he says he disciplined himself to keep from being that stumbling block. So he says, Follow my example. Uh, here in this end of chapter 10. Uh, hey, I, I did this. I did it to be saved. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, and it's funny how the, the chapter division happens here. I don't know why this happens to be chapter 11. I don't know why they divided this. Because it goes right to this context. Imitate me just as I also initiate Christ. And then he starts a new subject in verse 2. So we start chapter 11, but uh, it doesn't go very far. Paul imitated Christ. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. I follow Christ. You follow the way that I do. We should be able to tell others that too. You follow me. If you're following Christ, you follow me. Look, this is the way of Christ. Uh, That's the thought here. He imitated Christ. Uh, Let this mind be in you, uh, he said. Um, Paul is calling them to imitate. Uh, What does all this mean? We close this up. John Piper said it very well. It means that He created us for His glory. That's the reason He created us. But He also created us to have joy. He has joy. He always is rejoicing. But He created us so that we could see His glory and experience it so that we can have joy in it. It's not a burden, is it? It's a beautiful thing. How so? Because the way that He seeks to be glorified in us is by making us satisfied in Him. I can't have enough of Him. The good news of Christianity, Piper goes on to say, is that God is the kind of God who has most glorified us when we are most satisfied in Him. God created us for His glory. And the truth is is that the duty of every man, woman, and child is to live for the glory of God. And we get the benefits of that. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Win-win situation. It's not a burden on us. It is actually quite freeing to us, isn't it? God is a God of infinite love because He wills to share all that He is with us 
for our enjoyment and His glory. Let's close. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We exist for Your glory. And if we really get nothing out of this today, may we think about that in every detail and what we do that we would ask ourselves, is God getting glorified out of this? Even when we rest, You can be glorified because You've given that to us. Even when we eat, we can give glory to You. Even when we wash the dishes, vacuum the floors, do the laundry, go to our everyday mundane work, that we have to do every day to earn a living, that is giving glory to You. Every detail, putting on our clothes, breathing. If we think about it, Lord, You've given us the strength to, uh, for us to even be here, to walk, to talk, to do everything that we have done today. You've given to us and it glorifies You. Thank You, Lord, for that. And may we be able to make wise decisions that would bring more glory to You in our daily walk as we grow closer to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.